Hey there, audio community. The Sound Girls podcast would like to thank our sponsors, QSC, for supporting our program. And you may think pro audio when you think about QSC, but they're also about making the world a better place. They're committed to things like integrity and building trust and keeping promises. They promote thinking long-term, even when it's more work, and they value inclusion. They promote doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. So QSC is about a lot more than just audio, and we're very grateful for their support. So check out everything that they're about at QSC.com. Hi, everybody. Kylie Snyder is our guest today, and she is the technical lead for media and studio arts at the Duderstadt Center at the University of Michigan. And Kylie is also a trans woman. During our time together, we talk system integrations, gender transitioning, and most notably, we talk about the ubiquitous nature of fear, whether it be standing behind a console or coming out as a trans woman. Kylie's take on all of it is funny, emotional, savvy, and you'll learn lots, so don't miss it. Kylie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled to have you on the show, and um, I think that there's going to be a lot to talk about. I got your uh, bio, and I just wanted to start off first by just finding out exactly kind of how you were led to become an audio engineer and what that path looked like for you. Yeah, yeah, why not? So, no, that's a totally valid question, Um, and thanks for having me. It's fun. So yeah, I mean, I started doing things related to audio, gosh, when I was like 12 or 13 at the latest, like I was doing all the choir stuff as one does. I think I did in my bio, I refer to myself as a, as a reform singer. I was classically trained for like 15 years. Were you really? Yeah. You know, I broke it that's up. That's no small commitment. I mean, well, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, when you're a kid, like that's the thing, right? Like, cause you, you start out doing ballet when you're like five and then decades later, you're like, oh no, I was classically trained ballerina. Really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, it didn't, yeah, didn't seem, anyways. So I loved that. And like all my friends were in band. I got drug into like doing like front of house for uh, like winter drumline and stuff like that, uh, which was really cool. And like when it came time to do the, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? I, at the time I was way, way, way too into Dave Matthews band. Uh, and um, <laughs> I think we all like, were. That was my, I know, but no, that was my initial <laughs> comment to my mother was like, what do you want to do? I want, I want to do that. Like, at the time, I would have said that guy behind the board, like, I want to yeah. do that. Like, that sounds great. Like, let's do that. And so, I mean, it was early 2000s. So like that led us to bad internet searches. Whoa, bad internet searches. Um, <laughs> but like, I wound up going to Ball State for my undergrad, uh, which was really, really good. And I, I was really into classical music then too. Loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. And then finally something just broke in me. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, no, I need to record all this stuff. So that's the short answer. That's great. So you work at the University of Michigan, and you're a technical lead there. I wondered if you could just tell me a little bit about that job and how long you've been there. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. It's interesting. It's a it's a recent promotion. Functionally, I'm a, I'm our chief engineer of the facility. That's what most people understand it as. But you know, rules and things. We're not going to use that title. But so I I came here about four years ago from Ohio University, where I'd I'd spent seven years teaching and was running a facility and had built several studios there because that's one of the things I like to do. And I was lucky to get to do it there. I was brought here uh, basically as an assistant engineer. 
And over the time, I sort of, you know, became a, a little bit more ingrained in the, the facility. So the way we work is we're a really cool open access facility on the North Campus of the university. So as long as you're either a student, faculty, or staff member, you can use it for free, for nothing. And you, you even keep your IP, which is, we think, pretty astonishing. Uh, and we love it. And so I sort of fell in love it's with- It's beautiful. It is. Like, it's so rare. And oh my God. <laughs> so like- our basic building is a lot like, you know, a modern version of a media union, if you will, right? That's that's how it started. So we've got three large-scale recording studios uh, with some APIs that, you know, we're bringing uh, Atmos into. And we've got a massive multi-thousand-square-foot uh, uh, video studio with a, a double 1080-wide uh, curvilinear cyclorama so we can do really immersive projections. And we do all sorts of stuff with like projection mapping in front of house in that facility. So it's very much like a creative space. Our, our goal is really just to sort of make the dreams of the artist come true, knowing that we're there to facilitate whatever they want at no cost. And that's been a lot of fun. And so in the last year, the uh, director of our area uh, retired and the person who held a version of my position before now our director. And so I'm I'm now running our studios, which feels awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great because I, I effectively support just so many great productions. I get to have an impact on a lot of really cool stuff. And is it a teaching facility, too, that they use for studio classes, or is it purely public? Yeah, so the answer is yes to both. So the building really is an enigma. Uh, it's housed within uh, the vice president uh, for academic innovation, which is underneath the provost. So we're very core, and we don't really belong to anyone. The School of Music does. They use our facilities for teaching, but they're just like any other user, right? They request things and we make it happen. But that's also nice because the School of Music has great facilities and we have different ones. And just providing the, the level of difference is awesome. The way that we also run them is, so we've got the three studios and you have to get trained to use them, but it's not, you know, terribly difficult. You know, there's two one-hour uh, courses and then a, a nice test. So just three weeks long. And you start out in Studio C. And then you move to Studio B if you want. And then you move to Studio A if you want. So, you know, we can on any given day have a nurse, you know, in there creating a, a sound bed that, that she really wanted. Or like <laughs> uh, someone who's a mechanical engineer, like recording something because they need an acoustic space because um, we're pretty good. Sure. It sounds yeah, it's really wild. Yeah. Incredible. I, I think the diversity in there sounds like you would never get bored. It's it's very unique. It is. Uh, and that's that's one of the reasons I really like being there. It's a truly wonderful, I mean, I'm, first of all, just privileged to work at a university in general, um, and also just a Big Ten university that is so overwhelmingly supportive of people in general, but also just me existing as who I am. Um, yeah, which is a I, great segue. Thank so, you. So, yeah, Kylie, you were a trans woman, and I really appreciate you coming on and giving voice to your experience for anybody else that might be relating or not know. I'd first love for you to just talk about like when it happened. Did you were you in audio before it? And just give us a little story on on that. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, so I've been doing audio since I was twelve. Uh, so no, <laughs> so no. Um, I mean, yeah. So I've been doing audio this whole time, and I mean, I came out uh, initially as uh, as non-binary about uh, it was in early twenty nineteen, and for me that was well the entirety of it is you know, appropriate representation. I grew up in Appalachia. These aren't words that I heard. These aren't, no. it's not that yeah. it was bad. It's just, I never once heard them. And I heard them some at Ohio University, which is the most liberal place in Ohio. But like, it wasn't, you know, like it didn't land. And so I got here and you mentioned the diversity of the place. 
it is an overwhelmingly diverse place, and I am so grateful for it because I will get to work with so many people from such a diverse background every day that sometimes walking into the world genuinely feels weird um, mm. because it's, you know what I mean? Like it's, I get to experience so much of all of it every day that at times the world just feels really homogenous and really odd. I would guess. I would uh, guess. Like the supermarket, and, you're like, this is boring. Yeah. And it's, it's not pejorative. <laughs> it's just, you know, like anything sure. else, if that's what you're seeing. So I came out as non-binary at the beginning of, in the middle of 2019, you know, very unceremoniously over a, an Instagram post as one does. Um, <laughs> and without even really knowing what it meant, like, not that I didn't know what it meant, but like I had found some song lyrics and I was sobbing and that was it. Like I just came out. Um, okay. It was wonderful. And then COVID happened. So really quickly though, I'm curious. Yeah, please go ahead. Um, yeah. For anybody that might have the same question, what is it that when you say you just sort of came out, I mean, had you had any oh. feelings of just, I mean, how, what were you before that? I mean, what was the... I know that's a very good question. For years before, yeah. I mean, there were some really interesting signs, you know, as I look back now, um, like I, I dated a wonderful woman who was in, in the industry uh, for a number of years. And there were a lot of things that, you know, came up in loving ways in the relationship. If it's like, huh, well, yeah, that makes sense now. Totally. Mm, yeah. That, right. that, that like, but no, there was never any explicit like that. What was really cool is, so yeah, like 2020 happened, right? And we're all locked in our houses. And it's again, the university thing. You know, we switched to Zoom very quickly because we were using blue jeans and thankfully that died. But, <laughs> Me too. Um, oh my gosh. Oh my God. I'm like, with you on hold. that. But yeah, like all the students were putting their pronouns in their uh, bios, certain their display names, right? Because we were doing all these production meetings because at the time we, we were still going on the thing. Like we were still advancing our season and, and all that. So we were having all the, uh, the production meetings and all that. And I couldn't do it. And it took me a pretty long time, I mean, in COVID times, to figure out why. It makes sense now, and I get it. But yeah, I mean, um, it, was, uh, it was COVID. So I'm really lucky because, I mean, I began transitioning socially uh, during COVID and then medically slightly after. I mean, I don't know when COVID even ended, for God's sake. God's sake, exactly. But, yeah. So next week is 11 months for me on hormones. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I'm thrilled to hear. So, so then at that point, you just started putting they, them. And as far as... Initially, yeah. Okay, but now you're she. I'm very much a... Yeah, yeah I, I am. And that's the thing. I have always been she, her. I just didn't know that. Sure. Um, that's just, you know, it, it took some time. Because, you know, I have a lovely life here, but I live alone. And during COVID, there were limited places to even try some of this stuff. So my safe space very quickly became work. And it took you know, some, you know, finesse just to get, to explain it to people. Um, I would what say I was courage. Feeling, courage is the word that comes you. to my mind for you. Well, I'll tell you, I got really lucky and, and for will ever be grateful to a colleague of mine. Again, diversity. There have been other trans girls who've come out in my building in my time there. Three, I think, in four years. Um, and one of them is a dear friend. And we're getting very close to trigger warning areas, but um, like <laughs> she came out to me uh, and she didn't know that that day I was going to come out to her. And that sort of turned my world upside down. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing all that. I, I'm, You're welcome. I mean, I'm very curious. I have very little experience with trans. I do know some people that have trans children though. Yeah. And that's a thing too. And it's, it's, I just, anything I can learn about it and know about it, I'm grateful for. So 
I don't know. I thank you for coming on. No, it's you're you're very welcome. Like I I've learned so a lot of a lot has changed in the last year or two for me, and I'm actually going to loop back to your original question in a second. But one of them is just that is just trying to be more understanding and more receptive to everything, and just also understand that like my transition is not just for me. It's it's kind of for everyone around me. Like my family is new to this. They're not handling it well. Not at all. But I mean, I mentioned Appalachia. So yeah. <laughs> like, that's a thing. But like, you know, I have so many people that I'm close to from like, Ohio and like the South that like, I'm the only trans person they know. And so I've really found that it's really uh, healing for me to share what I'm feeling uh, and going through. But I've gotten a lot of shockingly positive messages from people that I wouldn't have expected. Um, just talking about how like sharing is helpful because they get to learn. And so that that's been impactful. But you asked if I did this during audio. Yeah. And how as far as your audio, I mean, oh, yeah. I, yeah. So it's been interesting for me because the nature of my job sort of changed absent, like, you know, outside of transition, you know, it was just sort of a thing that happened. And I've been a little bit, I mean, I've been god awful lucky, if I'm to be honest, that that happened. It's perfect for me. I don't, I don't have to do day-to-day productions as much anymore. And so as someone learning to be me, I can just more easily just even, it's done, but like I can dress how I want. I don't need to worry about like wearing blacks or like, you know, where, you know, wearing all the stage attire that you would necessarily do. Right. And for me, that's been a gift because I can still do that, but it's very, it brings forth a lot of dysphoria. So it's been nice to have a bit of a separation, but the other part of it is, uh, the biggest part has been just, I mean, it's obviously a rather male-centric industry. Yes, I was just going to say sound men. I mean, we're all, so I'm a sound right, man, I mean, basically. Right, like, yeah, like, I don't want to mention the name of the podcast, but like, come on. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's been really interesting to come out later in life because I got to enjoy a lot of white male privilege. Um, interesting, yeah. And I'm aware of that. I'm not a guy, but I presented as male for 37 years. And I, I received a lot of male training, but I also received a lot of, I don't want to say grace, but like male look the other way, like the, you know, as every guy does. So it's been really interesting to grow into the same job that I was sort of doing, but as a similar but profoundly different person who's seen very differently. I would imagine. And, and what does it mean to you to be yeah. on Sound Girls podcast as a trans woman? <laughs> that's a <laughs> oh gosh so uh oh wow that actually made me tear cool that's a new one uh, <laughs> it's fine i do that a lot now it kind of meant more than you can imagine or maybe you can but um when i was telling uh talking to a uh you know the woman i was dating you know when i first came out because she's conversant in the industry this podcast came up at that time Really? Not for any weird gatekeepy reason, but I'd been talking through a lot of my uh, insecurities and anxieties and inferiority complexes. Oh, wow. I'm going to lose it. But Go um, for it. Oh, you know, authenticity is what we're all about. It's I great. remember saying that, like, I will know that I have managed to, like, get to a point of my transition where, like, I'm seen as who I am, um, but that I've managed to do it in a way that, like, is working with my career. If this ever happened, there was a weird metric I sort of gave myself that it was never a thing I needed because it's a weird thing to need. But yeah, it, it's profoundly gender affirming uh, for anyone to see you as who you are and to accept you as that. Well, you're absolutely a sound girl to us. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm just going to stop crying now. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. You're almost making me cry. I just looking at you. I, I think. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely. I can't imagine it being anything but just a lot of many emotions. And um, it is a lot of experiences and a lot of learning. And and uh, well, I, I mean, so I, I had the hardest time writing a bio. Right. Um, right. I still don't do that. Like, I'm still reconciling <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of reconciling like who I was uh, and who I am. And a lot of that has changed in how I interact with my colleagues and with my industry. What are some of the most unexpected experiences you've had that are maybe both, both affirming and also kind of shattering, perhaps? I don't know if there have been, but... Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, so this podcast is a good example. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd, I'd finally come out at work, um, like fully as me because it was after a great music theater session and i like the kids properly gendered me and named me and it was anyways really so (laughs) well yeah like yeah i have such faith in the kids it's uh it's amazing like they've actually played a huge role in in all of it um and so that's been a an interesting thing is it's been amazing to see who's accepting and who's not like if you scroll back on my instagram go for three years it's a good time but like if you see me um i'm very obviously femme and, and not mask. And it's been very interesting to see people who I interacted with a lot pre-transition loads, just whoa gobs. Apparently because I'm taking estrogen, I don't have a brain anymore. And I mean that tongue in cheek, but I'm still the same person. I still have the same skills. And yeah, it's a, it's really interesting just to see. I've been really surprised, I think, by the just people in terms who, of of being minimized, of being yeah. ignored. Not in, a, of, not in a weird Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just trying to put words to what that, that yeah, comment yeah. about that I don't have a brain. Like what specifically were the feelings around that or the actions that people did? That's an, an opportunity for me to like reflect on the male privilege that I had. Mm. Uh, because there have been a lot of experiences that you actually, you phrased it really well, that are both affirming and crushing. I like that. Because in the most horrific way, at times, having my opinion discounted is wildly gender affirming. And it's <laughs> That's true. In the, in the worst way possible. Right, yeah. In the worst way possible. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, a, it's such a canonically female experience. <laughs> There's a lot of that, which is, it's good. I mean, that's, that's, that happens in my life in general. But yeah, that's been interesting. That's been, that's been fun. That is, that's a complex way to think about it, which I never would have. So thank you for that. Yeah. Coming out has made it uh, virtually impossible, literally impossible for me to not see, oh God, literally all the other injustice. Because once you become (laughs) aware of what's happening to you and all the ones you love, and then you see it reflected in other portions of society. Yeah. It gets interesting. The lexicon through which I view everything is now just sort of permanently altered, which is Wonderful, but different. But different, yeah. It's it's together. But I think sad. that's an answer to something. I it, don't. No, know. it it was. It, the, I think it's profound what you just said about seeing all the suffering in the world once you've kind of connected to a different side of yourself and the experience of being marginalized. If that actually, you didn't use that yeah. word, so I don't want to put that in. But uh, I, I I know I I was thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm well aware that I still hold quite a bit of privilege at times, and I'm. I'm really cautious about how I label myself because I certainly don't feel marginalized. Okay. That's why I backpedaled. I felt like you, you don't actually, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, um, no, I'm just having a normal experience as a woman. 
Good. Which I guess in some ways is marginalized, but yeah. we'll just skip past that. Uh, so if we yeah. were to kind of turn back around to audio, a lot of our, our audience is coming back. So I wondered if you could tell some kind of up and coming engineers. I personally also started mixing audio at my university. Maybe if you could talk a little bit about studio work, because that's mainly your focus in audio, right? Yeah, I do a studio work. My actual focus is genuinely design integration and maintenance of complex digital and analog systems. I don't actually mix near as much as I used to. I'm I'm truly a studio designer these days, but I I do some mixing. Well, that's actually such an important role at this time <laughs> because of technology's integration. If you could talk a little Thanks. bit about people up and coming and what they may want to know, like some wisdom and gems you've found out about integrating you know, between Dante and analog and all the IT stuff and anything you could share that would help people find direction. So like IT stuff sort of changed my life in a weird way. You know, I was that dorky kid who, you know, let's build computers, right? And let's do all the stuff, right? It was early 2000s. That was wonderful because I know how to build a network. And it's really interesting, like when you get beyond the plug and playness of the network, it is a lot of work, um, obviously, as you know. And that's basically what my job morphed into, uh, is in many ways just a fancily titled network engineer, um, because we've got three rooms with, call like 150 interfaces between everything, um, yeah, like a, a lot. lot of Dante on like a core production network that's like siloed into, you know, uh, per room specific VLANs and, you know, all, all these sorts of things. And, you know, we're using NDI, you know, a video over IP, that wonderful one, which is cool, but equally complex in its own right. It's odd. Like, I don't want to harp on, like, how important digital things are, given that, like, engineers coming up right now, in many ways, they're more digitally native than I am. It's just the things in which we're native are naturally different. And so Can a you lot of the things that... kind of specifics yes. about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I mentioned, like, the plug-in plainness of the, the network. It's not a pejorative. Um, it's just, you know, a lot of the... the younger engineers I see come through, you know, if you plug it in and it doesn't work, and this goes for everything audio, that it, it's broken, right? It's, it's just broken. It's just broken. So, I mean, that's obviously objectively false. But so, <laughs> you know, they, they start just talking you through, like, problems they've had at home, and you realize, oh, okay, well, if you learn, like, this core subset of things, you'll be fine. Like, that, that's really what you need. Right. Like um, someone, oh, gosh, like a student deciding to like the, that they wanted to do like a little Avio setup at home. Right. To like learn Dante. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just the usual stuff. Right. You know, like trying to explain to them things that are genuinely in the Dante certification, but that like don't always land. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of that. Sure. I can. It, it is. It's yeah. I mean, anybody, regardless of age, gender, whatever, just real world experience and real world networking versus trying to train for it. It's really, yeah, it's really hard. I mean, to make that transition and leap. And as far as qualities and characteristics for doing what you do, who do you see that excels in doing design integration versus someone who doesn't? Well, first of all, it helps if they're just a wee bit crazy. That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of that in the industry. So, okay, we're good to we're go covered. next. Yeah. Um, honestly, like a lot of creativity. Like, I've never been a big, you know, I don't want to say no to person, someone, right? Like, I, if no's not a good answer for me. Not because it's bad. It's just, there's got to be a way. At least in my mind, there's a way 
to make it work. And I really am not satisfied until it is. And I think it's that sort of like bizarro drive of like wanting to know even just like the way all the subsystems of a studio are wired. Um, that's a lot of the stuff that I find you know, the, the people who are most successful, they have an innate curiosity for electricity or electronics or electrical engineering, or, you know, they, they want to dig um, and they want to troubleshoot, which is categorically different from so many engineering positions, which is you want a super creative person. You want someone who has all that other experience. My position is a, how's my boss described it before? He says that my, my position's a, uh, an exercise in thinking both in Technicolor and black and white at the same time. Oh, I love that. I love it a lot myself. Yeah. And it's true because I, I often straddle a lot of worlds. So like functionally, like we have, I mean, I've mentioned IT. So like this morning I had the IT meeting for our building, which I help run with, with one of the other people. Um, because, you know, I'm the person managing our networks and our software loads and like all of the, the weird things. Right. And so I need to coordinate with uh, the people who do that for me and who do that in the other spaces. Because that's the weird thing is we're a big studio, but we're also sort of an enterprise class outfit because like we have to keep things secure. Uh, and, you know, most people who come through, like, you know, if you bought a laptop today, you're, you're going to want our logic to match your logic. Right. So yeah. we're going to have to update the computers pretty frequently. That's right. Um, <laughs> wow. It's just it's a lot of stuff like that. But yeah, having the ability to talk, I think, between sort of disciplines, like being able to work with musicians and creatives and engineers, I think that's a really helpful skill. Can you tell us a little bit about your troubleshooting recently, something that happened on site that you kind of figured out that maybe wasn't exactly the, it was a circuitous path? Well, they're all circuitous. <laughs> they are, aren't they? That's all, we live in circuity. Is that a word, circuity? Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah we can go with that. That's fine. Hmm, that's a good one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the worst one at this job because that's just easier. That's the best. Because like uh, so much stuff happened during COVID. It's just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the TLDR is we were silly and should have thought of this ahead of time. However, <laughs> you know, like it's mid spring, you know, there's storms everywhere, you know, powers drop and left the usual stuff. Right. Was it 2018, 19? I can't remember. 2019, I think. And, you know, we, <laughs> we, we crashed the room because we're afraid of the, you know, the power bumps. And because we've got a 48 channel vision, a short loaded 32 vision, a 16. We've got there's things I don't want to destroy. That's right. Uh, and, you know, the next day um, we started having and we didn't know it was the next day. But the next day we started having the most bonkers digital issues in the neck in the room next door. And, you know, first of all, they're actually on different ground planes. So I was pretty confident nothing wonky happened. Like, you know, we're safe. Right. So we start digging in. It was the board was a. DM 2000, God help us. Um, <laughs> and so, you know where I'm at. So like we knew that like something was weird and I started digging into it. I had that sucker torn out. It was fully disassembled. <laughs> what happened was there was a, and I'll come back to, but what happened was there was a, a power surge that we didn't know about. And it literally blew out one of the three legs of our feed. Oh God. Uh, um, and we didn't notice it. For forever, because things had been operating well enough with intolerance. That's right. <laughs> That's so easy to not see. Yeah. And the only reason we did is because on the big room, we had an old, really old Square D, like, uh, in-room surge suppressor. And one day we walked by and looked up and someone said, Aren't all the lights supposed to be supposed on? supposed to be a third yeah. light there? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that third light supposed to be on? And then just, every, 
we sent the board to California to get it worked on. It didn't. There was nothing wrong with it. <laughs> right. I felt like an idiot. We've all done that. Absolutely, we have all troubleshot oh something gosh. that was not an issue. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Um, so always look at the surge yeah. protector instead. <laughs> look at the surge protector. Look at the. Gosh, another stupid one in recent years was you know we did some tweaks to the signal chain and. All of a sudden, there was noise on the wireless mics. That's weird. Well, apparently the last thing we decided to check was the gain staging. Okay. <laughs> this got shifted. Well, you know, live and learn. Everybody it's learns. It's the little things. It's always the little things. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, I guess as uh, we wrap up here, is there anything you would want to tell our audience that we haven't covered? About anything, hmm. being a trans woman, an audio thing, anything at all? So, like, easily one of the most universal takeaways for me in pretty much everything is that it doesn't matter what it is. Um, it's not as scary or hard as you think it is. And that applies just as much to my transition as it does to my career. I have definitely had some really hard times in the last few years in being me, accepting me, feeling safe as me, uh, feeling safe as me in the world, wondering why people might not want me in the world. Uh, heavy things. But every bit of that, every bit of how I react to that and am influenced by that is um, is really shaped by a lot of the things I've had to do in my career. Like the first time I had to run a digital console, I was scared shitless. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd been thrown in front of that thing, and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured it out. And that's sort of what I did the last couple of years. I feel like from a lot of the horrible fear, especially that we might be experiencing right now, it's a good opportunity to... I don't know, recognize how fear and terror, as bad as that is, and just horrible events have influenced all of our lives, and, and just try to make it positive. There's always something positive that can come out of everything. Kylie, that was beautiful. Thank you. I, I can't agree with you more. Thank and the you. idea of turning into fear, you know, someone once told me fear is one thing, but courage is actually walking through the fear. And yeah, that's what you've done. That's what we all do. But I love how you paralleled it to the first time you ran a console because that's ultimate fear for anybody. It's expensive. But, but then also, you know, traversing into facing emotional fear and all the things that society's pressure puts on us to be or say or not do or not say. And I love that it's, it's usually bigger in your head than actually what it comes down to being. But, I, but yeah, not always. Well, I mean, like, as I think about, like, just the running of the console, like, I'd not actually thought of that parallel before. That's a good one for me. The feelings are wildly similar. Because any of the feelings I'm having right now, it's stuff of, am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I doing it right? You know, is this what people want to see? It's all the same. I was terrified. Did I do it right? Was the artist happy? Am I going to get the next job? The same exactly. fears. Exactly. So, yeah. Fears of an engineer of people, human beings. So to end the show, I always ask people, what is your favorite record top to bottom of all time, or not of all time, but that you would like to share with our listeners? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a hard one because I'm not like, so I said that I was super into classical, right? Oh yeah. It can be classical. Well, oh no, it can be classical. So I made a pretty hard shift. I'm really into hyperpop. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Tell me. That's been that, that's been relevant. That that's just sort of happened as part of the transition. I don't know that I have a favorite album, actually. I want to go back and re-experience a lot of 
really good records from the 90s and 2000s and see how I still, if I still feel about them, actually. That's a good way to put that it. That would be. I mean, some yeah. of my all-time stuff is just anything Peter Gabriel, Genesis, anything like that, because it's really kick-ass. But yeah. it's like writing. Like someone had asked me, who's your favorite writer? And I'd said before, I'm like, you know, I really love Hemingway. Fitzgerald's great. I don't know how I feel about it now. I'd like to, I'd like to find out. Yeah, you're that's a different just sort person. Of, that's, that's sort of the entirety of the last several years is let's figure it out. Let's see what it is now. Beautiful. Well, Kylie Thanks. Snyder, thank you for your time and for coming on and all your uh, honesty and openness. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I had the most fun, truly. The Sound Girls podcast is sponsored by QSC. And you can find new episodes dropping every week in all the normal podcast places. And for more info about what Sound Girls offers, which is a ton of opportunities and career support, check out soundgirls.org. Hey, are you looking for more audio-related podcasts? Well, check out our friends at the Audio Podcast Alliance. To see all their podcasts, visit audiopodcast.org. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of interviews with audio industry veterans. The project seeks to highlight the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. Interviews are conducted by Sound Girls members with guidance from experienced interviewers in the audio industry. Interviews will be available publicly in our Living History Project and for educational use and research. You can find the Living History Project on the Sound Girls YouTube page, youtube.com slash soundgirls. The executive producers of the Sound Girls podcast are Becky Campbell and Susan Williams. This episode was produced by me, Rebecca Wilson, and edited by Christina Hiramoto. Our theme song was written and recorded by Jess Fenton, and we send a big thank you to our sponsors at QSC, who, just like at Sound Girls, wants to help empower you with the right tools, support, and services to help you create impactful connections. Find out more info at soundgirls.org and qsc.com.